everyone, welcome to today's episode of Heart, Home, Faith. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. It is such a joy to have so many wonderful listeners in the audience, and I'm so grateful for you each and every day. Thank you for allowing me to do this ministry that God put on my heart. I'm very, very blessed. Today, I'm talking with someone I have admired for quite some time. Her name is Rosie Hill, and many of you might know her as the person who several years ago moved from the suburbs and now lives on a farm with a very large Catholic family. She is awesome, and she has a blog. You can follow her on Instagram, and she has a Facebook group called Catholic Homesteaders Current and Hopeful, which has been an incredible resource for me I love seeing all the different questions people ask and learning more about this unique lifestyle that Rosie and her family live. I can't wait for you to hear all that she has to say in this awesome interview. So listen in. Oh, I'm so glad that you were able to be on Heart Home Faith. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. It's awesome to be able to talk to you about this sort of stuff. I don't even know if I'm using the right terms in my questions. So go ahead and correct me if I'm not using like the actual term about what you and your family do. Um, but Anyways, for those of you who don't know, I'm talking with Rosie Hill today. Um, Rosie lives in rural Virginia, right? Yeah. Okay. In like some sort of 1800s farmhouse, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some sort of 1800s style farmhouse. And then you, is it homesteading or like what word would you use? Um, Homesteading is about right. We're like officially a farm, but there are lots of words out there that you can use for what we do. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what the right word is. I like have an idea of what the right word is, but I'm not sure if it's the right one. So anyways, um, I just wanted to jump right in with the questions. And so I know that when we were chatting over our Instagram chat, you said that you moved from the suburbs um, and then now you live on a farm. And so I guess I'm just like really curious if you could kind of explain what living on a farm is and like what homesteading is for people who maybe don't know. Yeah. Um, well, it can encompass a whole lot. Um, I don't know anyone who does absolutely everything that you possibly could do um, when it comes to homesteading, but there's a lot that you can do. Like we, we have chickens that we use for eggs and for meat. We have had pigs um, for meat also. Um, we had a goat, and then we had two goats, and then we had one goat again, and now we have no goats, but we're not going to do goats again. <laughs> no more goats. <laughs> but my favorite part is the, the giant garden, and we've got a bunch of fruit trees, um, and we do what we can to preserve as much food as we can. Um, and grow a lot of what we eat. Um, and also, we work on supporting local farms and trying to buy meat locally and other produce locally as much as we can. And we're blessed to live in an area where that's possible. 
um, because when we were in the suburbs, it was really hard to find local meat and like actual local produce. Um, but ever since we moved out here, it's been a lot easier. It's nice to be able to really know your farmer. But there's a lot of homesteading type skills that that you can acquire living in the suburbs or living in the city, like just baking bread or you know, making broth or canning even. I did a fair amount of canning when we were living in the suburbs. So there's a lot of just basic life skills that I think um, you can acquire to be living a homestead life without actually having to move out to the middle of nowhere. Awesome. Okay, so having seen your Insta stories about how awesome your bread is, I think I'm going to just put in a little request that you do like this bread tutorial because my bread never looks like that. It's pretty sad. <laughs> like this dense rock with a part that's never cooked through in the middle. I'm like, why? That's the worst. I hate that. Yeah. It's definitely been, it's definitely been a long process. I started, yeah, I didn't bake my first loaf of bread until, I'm trying to think, I guess like eight or nine years ago. Okay. I just seemed like totally impossible. And who does that? And how, what even is yeast? Um, but it's totally achievable. And, you know, if you have a tough time with it, there's always the grocery store. That's what I always say. If we have a crop that fails, there's always Costco. So it's right. not a deal. we're not going to starve if whatever we do fails in some way. Right. Although I have heard that sometimes you get more than you bargained for and then you don't know what to do with it. Right. Like your winter splash. Oh my gosh. There's so much of it. <laughs> we so we have a CFA, um, which basically is, um, ours is super small. It's just five local families that we were already friends with, um, but we grow produce for them and they get a big old bag of produce um, and a dozen eggs and some flowers every week. Um, and so we don't love eating winter squash. We don't, well, we don't even like eating winter squash, <laughs> um, but it's so pretty that I really like growing pumpkins and things like that. And so I gave my husband um, a few seed packets back in, I guess, July. And I just said, okay, plant these. And he, I guess, took that to me and plant every single in the packet. And so we, they, they started growing and they grew huge and they just kept growing huger and they're still going strong now. Um, but we harvested, I think, two big wheelbarrow loads this past weekend. And that was, you know, I guess the biggest harvest at one time, but now we've got like a I don't know, like a 12 foot long table full of Hubbard squash and butternut squash and spaghetti squash and Jardale pumpkins, those blue pumpkins, really pretty blue pumpkins. And then a bunch of like random gourds that we can't eat. Um, but the toddler really likes them. She just carries them around everywhere. <laughs> we're trying to figure out how to eat these in a way that any of us actually can stomach. The kids like doing baked goods. Okay. That might be the only thing. But that's probably good. I still haven't lost the baby weight from the toddler who is 19 months old. So it's probably true that I'm not eating. (laughs) But yeah, you know, if we end up with extras and I really can't deal with them, we'll just throw them to the chickens. That's the nice thing about chickens. They eat the kids' leftovers. They eat the gross garden stuff that we don't necessarily want to eat. They're, They're pretty good at eating everything we don't want. That's good. It's like, um, composting, but better because they just consume it. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's so funny. (laughs) 
Okay. So I kind of want to hear a little bit about your story and I know you have a blog and I'm sure you've shared your journey on the blog, but if we could get an audio version of your story, I think that'd be really cool. Like, especially I'm really big onto like thinking through things through discernment. And so I feel like that really applies to every area of our lives, especially as Catholic people. And so like, how did you even come to figure out that, you know, God was calling you? How did, how did you even come to decide that this was the sort of lifestyle? Because it is a dramatic change from suburban living. Right? Yeah. So, well, I don't want to attribute it all to Little House on the Prairie, but we had definitely been reading <laughs> Little House books. My mom gardened a lot um, when I was a kid. And so when we bought our first house, we were in the suburbs. We had a nice, big, sunny yard, and we started building little raised beds um, for a garden. And our first year, we did pretty well, and so we built another big raised bed. And our second year, we liked what we were growing, and we wanted to build more. And we were like, at this point, like, if we keep building garden beds, there's not going to be any yard left. Who want to buy this house? Um, and at the same time, my dad had died, and my mom was living on her own, and things were just not going great there. Um, and so my husband and I both like independently came to the conclusion that we wanted to live where there was more land. And we lived close to DC where if you want to have land there, you have to have millions of dollars. So we moved <laughs> farther out. Um, and we wanted to see if maybe we could find a place that had another little house for my mom to be able to live with us so that she had you know, people to be with again, now that she was an empty nester and didn't have my dad around. Um, and we figured, you know, it would be a long-term search and eventually we'd like keep our eyes open and keep our feelers out. And eventually we'd be able to find something, but no, like a month later, we <laughs> ended up finding the perfect place. Um, and we moved in the middle of garden season, which was annoying. I remember one night my husband came back to the house, pulled up all the tomato plants so that I could deal with all the ripe tomatoes and um, green tomatoes that were on the vines because I was so annoyed that we moved um, and we're missing the end of our tomatoes. <laughs> um, but it was very much, uh, a, I don't know, a journey that I guess had been naturally coming about on its own and it was just the natural conclusion. Um, and we were moving where we also were in the suburbs where we were like super weird for having five kids, which we had at the time. And we wanted to be somewhere where it was not a, an anomaly for us to be a large family. Um, and so we were looking in the area where our current parish is, where there are families with, you know, 10, 12, 14 kids. So moving in with five is like nothing. People are like, oh, it's a good thing. <laughs> um, and so it was really, it was a really nice change to make, not being like the weirdos at a Catholic church, but like having these big young families all around us. Um, it's really a beautiful thing to be able to experience for once. Right. Okay. I love that you guys were like, okay, we're going to like dig our heels in. We'll keep our eyes open and see what's going to happen. And then like a month later, you find the perfect fit. Like that's when you know, it's just, I mean, God's timing is always providential, but <laughs> yeah. And I totally get what you're saying about being the, uh, the big Catholic family. I'm in a suburban area right now and I just have to smile because like, it seems like in every parish that you visit around here. Um, and then of course I work for a parish and belong to that parish, but there's always one family that has a bunch of kids and like, 
they always, you always just know that they are that parish's one family. And uh, what I find so funny is that like you're at a parish where literally it's all that family. That's so, so big, which is so cool and so beautiful. I love that. Okay. So I'm really curious. I actually just did an interview with um, the St. Kateri Center, Conservation Center. Have you ever heard of them? I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So really cool stuff. They were talking about things that they're doing with like farms and things. And it kind of got me thinking, um, how does your Catholic faith impact your approach to how you care for your land and what you do on the land and what you grow or don't grow and things like that? Like, I, I guess I'm just curious how your Catholic faith feeds into all of your, your practices. So it's interesting. Um, because I think a lot of being good stewards of the land, um, which we, uh, which we learn through our faith, um, overlaps with like the kind of hippie crunchy circles. Yeah. We, we, um, we don't use any, uh, artificial pesticides. We don't, well, I guess we don't, we don't grow like cattle. So we're not gonna, we're not going to be injecting any of our, anything with hormones or anything like that. <laughs> um, but we, we try to, our, our, Birds, our chickens um, are pastured, and so they're on grass. And they have plenty of room to scratch and like live how God created them. We were on vacation um, just a few weeks ago, and we were driving by all these um, poultry farms, which are just like those giant chicken houses that have like a tiny little door at the end of them, and like ten thousand chickens in each house. And it was just depressing seeing the circumstances under which these animals live um, and knowing that we can do like our little part to treat our animals well. And knowing that um, the farmers that we support around here are doing the same thing. Like their cows are on grass, their pigs have room to roam and like eat nuts and things like that. Um, and it's important to us that we, you know, even though we're going to be eating them eventually that our animals live good lives because even though we were given stewardship over them. That doesn't give us permission to be cruel to them. Right. I remember my, my in-laws used to live way up north in northern Michigan. And I remember going up to visit them and driving past a, it was either a dairy farm or some sort of like, um, I, I guess I'm guessing it was a dairy farm. I just remember how awful it smelled and knowing that all of those animals were all packed in together. It just like, it does, it makes you sad that that's the life that some animals are given. And, and yeah, like you said, like we're given stewardship over them. These animals are of course able to feed us, to give us nutrients. Right. But there is some sort of like a, a piece of respect. And I'm laughing that you said that it kind of overlaps with like hippie crunchy circles because I'm so much more crunchy than I thought I was. <laughs> but like, then you start learning things and like, well, yeah, like I want to treat things with respect. And I'm actually, I actually kind of laugh sometimes at how crunchy Catholicism can be. Like there's a lot that can be seen as kind of like kind of crunchy, <laughs> which yeah. Like NFP. <laughs> the crunchiest of them all. My first mom friends that I ever made were through um, my La Leche League group okay. back 10 years ago. 
And they were like, none of them are Catholic, but they were also all into like fertility awareness because they weren't going to be putting anything nasty in their bodies. And it was so awesome just to like see how we totally came full circle to meet at the same point. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I just, I love that. I just love that. Okay. So I had this feeling back last year in the fall. I was like, I just want to like sell everything and move to the middle of nowhere and like not start a commune. I don't want to do a commune, but like I basically wanted like all of my friends that were Catholic to start this little Catholic community in the middle of nowhere and like sustain ourselves off the land. And then 2020 happened and I realized I need more people and I'm not called to that, but there's something very attractive about that sort of um, lifestyle to me. And I definitely know that there's a lot of people that are interested in a sort of more rural or homesteading type lifestyle. And so I'm really curious what you would say to women who feel like I'm called to this, but I don't know where to start. Um, Well, I think that, like I was talking about before, a lot of the skills that are coming handy on a homestead, you can cultivate, you know, in a suburban home. I I was canning, you know, peaches and jam in my little kitchen in the suburbs um, and baking bread, you know, making stuff, learning how to make everything from scratch, even if you're not going to always make it from scratch. Like I still, I can make tortillas from scratch and they're way better than store-bought tortillas, but it takes a long time. So I'm still going to buy tortillas, but it's nice to have that skill handy because, you know, sometimes you're not going to want to get into the car and drive 15 or 30 minutes to the grocery store or however far it is. Um, Because a lot of the time when you're, and we're, we're actually in, I say it's like, it's rural, but it's as close to convenience as you can be and still be rural where we are. It's a really great location because I can get to the grocery store in 10 minutes still, which is not the two minutes that I would live from the grocery store when I was in the suburbs, but it's still really not that bad. But just, you know, being comfortable in your own home is an important thing because it's not as convenient to get out wherever you need to be. And especially the more kids you have, it's not going to be more convenient. It's just not going to be convenient to get out of the house anyway because it just takes so long to get everyone out the door. Yep. Yes, I've noticed that it takes – with every kid, you add about five minutes to your departure time. But I – okay, so – I was thinking about what you were saying and about like how you're about 10 minutes away from the grocery store and sometimes you don't want to get in the car. And I was amazed when we went, I'm in Michigan, so we went into a very strict quarantine pretty quickly. Um, We were really hard hit, especially in the Detroit area where I am. And so, um, you know, I was amazed when we started trying to push our grocery shopping to like every two weeks instead of two times a week, because we, we eat a ton of fresh produce all year round. And so like, you can't keep store-bought tubs of salad in your fridge for, you know, two weeks. So, but when we started trying to go to the grocery store every two weeks and like how creative we got and how we became such better stewards of our food, like it was really, it was really interesting. So I guess I'm just, um, I'm curious, have you found that since you've been in your situation, in your location, you've been better stewards with, with food, um, that waste isn't maybe as big of an issue, or, um, maybe it just means more since you're growing it. 
Yeah, if I'm on the ball with my meal planning, I think we do a really good job um, of not being wasteful with leftovers. It's convenient that my kids will happily eat cold leftovers just like as snacks. Um, so I have to tell them like what they're really not allowed to eat. Like if I if I roast two chickens, I'll always roast two chickens at once and then save um, whatever leftover meat for another meal later in the week. And so that is off limits and they cannot eat leftover chicken unless I put it on the table in front of them. Um, <laughs> really good about that. And so I'll try to, you know, cook as much as I can so that they have that extra food. Um, but when flour went short, it was really hard um, to make sure that I wasn't baking anything unnecessary. That was a little bit tricky. Like I had to stick to my breads, and I had started in January um, trying to bake all of our bread and not buy anything um, from the grocery store. Except I do. I'll still buy tortillas. We <laughs> 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 did roll out all those tortillas. Um, but then there was a bread shortage, and so it was really um, providential timing. But then I had to find flour, so it was definitely a scramble. And then we found a good place um, where we could get a 50-pound bag of flour, and then that was enough for me for a month. I learned that I go through about 50 pounds in a month if I'm baking all our bread. So that was a, a kind of fun side effect of quarantine, and I had extra time at home, and so that gives you extra time to wait for everything to rise um, and make good bread. So that was my, my little hobby. I got really good at making bagels. That's awesome. Yeah, I know the the bread making phase of quarantine where everybody was making bread. It's nice that your bread was actually successful because <laughs> mine was not. Oh, it was, yeah, it's just it never turns out exactly the way I want it to. So I'm really curious. I mean, you, how many years have you been at your your farmhouse? How many years have you been there now? Five years. Five years. Okay. So in five years, you've probably learned a lot. And I'm curious, what would you say has been like the biggest surprise or challenge or something, um, thing you learned since you started five years ago? Gosh, I don't know. I feel like we learn a lot every year. One frustrating thing we learned is that um, we really needed to know more about our soil before we mm -hmm. fruit trees that we planted the first fall we lived here um, and about um, – disease resistant fruit varieties because we planted a ton of apple trees and we were so excited to get all these apples. And then we found out about cedar apple rust and we've got a ton of juniper trees, which are a type of cedar and they grow these um, galls that when it's wet weather, these like orange tube things come out of them and they just release spores like miles and miles into the air. And um, they attach to the apples leaves and make spots on the apple leaves and eventually the leaves die and fall off um, and so the trees don't grow well so that combined with our clay soil when we planted them we didn't make the um, holes wide enough they were just deep but not wide and so they're basically root bound in there so we just got all these like stunted little apple trees and we're trying to decide stunted and diseased <laughs> and we're trying to decide if we need to just rip them out and start over, but it's been five years, but it's been five years and they haven't grown. <laughs> and so that is the most frustrating thing that we've learned and that we're still kind of waffling back and forth on how we're going to deal with it. Um, so making decisions um, with plenty of education 
behind it is important, um, but not letting over-researching kind of stunt your progress because I know some people who get stuck on the research phase and never move beyond that. Um, and then identifying and treating problems early because if you don't treat a problem, it can become serious very, very quickly, which we learned with some of our trees that died of a disease that we didn't even know existed. So we're learning a lot. <laughs> we're still trying to figure it out. Oh, it's good to know that it's... um. Um, okay, so I guess I didn't send this question over, but I really, I'm curious. Can you kind of walk me through like what a typical day looks like for you? And I know that like everybody's schedule, if they take on this sort of lifestyle is going to be different, but I, I'm very curious. Um, like, what is it like for you? Well, it really depends on the season. Um, so we, we stop homeschool for the year. Um, mid-May because the garden is really ramping up and I do a lot more garden work during the day then and right now the garden is winding down and homeschooling is kind of gearing up I think we're in yeah we're almost at the end of week five of homeschooling right now so this is like minimal on the gardening maximum homeschooling capacity so my husband does all the work with the animals so we get up I don't have like a set wake up time we get up whenever the toddler is up which usually is like six 30 or so um, and he goes and he feeds and waters the um, laying hens and the meat birds and they're getting butchered um, this Saturday so pretty soon he won't have to deal with them which is nice I think he'll be happy not to have that on his plate anymore um, and while he's doing that I'm getting breakfast ready for everybody and trying to keep the baby from screaming because she likes to be just carried all the time no matter what's happening yeah. um, Kids, the other kids kind of trickle downstairs. Um, the older ones all make breakfast for themselves, which is nice, but that's not on my plate anymore. So I really only make it for um, me and uh, the toddler and the three-year-old. Okay. Uh, and they, well, they're supposed to make their own breakfast. The older ones will often just, like, play, and then at 10 o'clock, suddenly they realize they haven't eaten their breakfast. That's another story. <laughs> but they trickle downstairs. They're supposed to eat their breakfast. Um, our nine-year-old puts away the dishes after she eats her breakfast and then they're supposed to get out school stuff and start school for the day. Our schedule is kind of all over the place. The toddler um, who like she'll want to go outside and I have to like leave everybody <laughs> like it's recess everybody come outside and they love that. Um, on an ideal day we'll get school done. I'll get school done with the um, kindergarten second graders fourth grader from like 8 30 to 10 30 or 11 um and our oldest is in sixth grade and he does most of it on his own and just comes to check in with me throughout the day um the toddler goes down for a nap around 11 everybody eats lunch 11 30 everything is based very much around meal times <laughs> <laughs> after they eat lunch they're supposed to go outside until 1 30 that's like my rule but a lot of the time they'll have to come and get a drink or come and go to the bathroom or come in and whatever. I'm trying to get my husband to build a composting toilet, like outhouse way back <laughs> so they don't come back to the house. Yeah. We'll see if that happens. It would be nice. Um, but on the days that they do stay outside, that's when I can, um, you know, I'll wash dishes and pray the rosary or get through the readings for the day, um, prep stuff for dinner, prep stuff for school, or just like sit and have quiet time. <laughs> 
Um, and then the toddler wakes up from her nap and everybody comes back inside or we'll all go outside or whatever. But it's basically free time until everyone has to clean up at four from like four to four thirty. They have to clean up everything. And then I make dinner and they usually are at my mom's house or playing outside or in their room. My mom lives in the backyard. Um, and so she'll take at least the toddler um, and often the younger two or three kids as well. Um, and they come back when my husband gets home from work and we eat dinner. And then they, right now, they usually will play outside until it's dark and then just come in for bedtime. So, yeah, everything is very meal-based. And the after dinner, I'll usually go. My husband and I will both go and work in the garden. The kids wash the dishes. So I don't have to do that anymore, which is really nice not having to wash the dinner dishes. But yeah, we'll work in the garden or sometimes play with the kids. Mostly we'll work in the garden. I feel badly about it. But we, 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 I feel like we get a lot more like family quality time in um, during the winter when it's too cold to be working outside. So that's our typical, I guess, September day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's actually like I, I always kind of have this idea that like living on a farm would be like super regimented. But it actually sounds really just like kind of go with the flow, like you make it work for what your family needs, which I actually love. That seems very freeing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I have another question that I, again, didn't send to you, but sometimes inspiration strikes in the middle of these interviews. And so um, when it comes to like educating yourself about different things, like the... Um, cedar apple rot or other things that have, you know, caused problems. What are some of your favorite sources to find that sort of information? Well, we have a lot of field guides um, and the kids will help, especially with insect identification, trying to figure out what like garden pests are. The kids are really into identifying bugs or identifying different weeds. And it's helpful to have that. There are a bunch of apps that are good for that sort of thing too, but I always like to look to books first. Um, I feel like, that's going to be the most comprehensive source of information. And it's just frustrating, like Googling something and having to go through a million ads to try to figure out what something is and not even get the right answer. Um, so we look to our field guides first. I have, I made a Facebook group for um, Catholic homesteaders or homestead wannabes. Um, and that's been a really good source of information, being able to get answers from people who are more experienced or being able to answer questions for people who aren't quite as experienced or who are just dealing with something totally new um crowdsourcing on instagram sometimes helps or twitter or anything like that so harnessing the power of social media for for good purposes is helpful um and then you know sometimes i do google stuff and sift through all the ads and that's really helpful um but it's just fascinating how much knowledge you accumulate over the years, like I know so much more about tree identification and wildflower identification and bug identification than I ever learned growing up. And my kids know more than I do now, which I love that like the toddler picked up a leaf and told me it was a maple leaf and she was wrong. It was a sweet gum leaf, but she knew that uh, not all leaves are just leaves, which I was really proud of her for understanding that. So we'll see. Maybe she'll be the best of the bunch. Yeah, that's so, so cool. I know that when you're getting started with gardening or farming or anything that like so much trial and error goes into it as well. And so like, I'm sure coming up with the idea or not the idea, coming up with the, uh, you know, like the realization that, 
okay, this failed because of something outside of my control or this failed because of something I could have controlled, you know, it's got to be hard to find that balance of, you know, but like I, I really wanted to plant this thing, but it didn't do well here. Why not? Was it a pest? Was it conditions or was it something that happened? So I, I actually planted for the first time this summer. Um, I planted tomatoes and I was so excited. I love tomatoes. They did terribly. They were so, they were awful. And I also planted bell peppers I love bell peppers. I was so excited about my bell peppers and every single one of them had a rotten spot on them. I was like, why? It was so sad. So yeah, I'm still not sure what happened, but that's okay. Might've been the soil, might've been the the conditions, might've been. I know dry, dry weather. So it was probably blossom end rot for the peppers and dry weather can really do that because um, they have to be able to take in enough calcium through the roots. And when there's not enough rain, they can't take in adequate calcium because it's water soluble. And so that was probably the issue, but also peppers. Yeah. Peppers really like hot weather. And I feel like in Michigan, you're not going to have a long enough season to have really good luck with peppers. I feel like starting to do really well. And there's going to be a frost in a few weeks. So yeah, well, it's not, I mean, it's not the frozen Arctic tundra all year long, but it is getting cold now. So yeah. You know, we kind of figure gardening is a much abbreviated season probably compared to yours, but, you know, we can grow maybe spinach or things like that a little sooner because it's colder here first. But yeah, trying to figure out like what grows in your climate zone and everything is hard. I'm so overwhelmed by it. Okay. So um, my last question, and I love asking people this question because they get so many answers, Uh, but I wanted to know... What is your favorite thing about Catholicism? Oh, man. You know, I think that um, being able to discover different liturgical traditions with my kids is is a, a real blast. Like, we didn't do that much when I was a kid. My dad was a cradle Catholic, but my mom didn't convert until I was 10. And so, and she worked, and um, both she and my dad struggled with depression. And so adding in anything extra besides going to math on Sundays, I think just wasn't going to happen for them. And so being able to kind of rediscover the longstanding traditions of the faith is really fun. And, you know, knowing that maybe, you know, hundreds of years in the past, people were still doing these same things or, you know, we're doing them. And now here we come again, bringing back these old traditions that maybe disappeared for a little while, but they're coming back and they're coming back more in the mainstream Catholicism now, which I love. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, I did an interview with Jenna Hines from the Lazy Liturgical in my first season of Heart Home Faith, and she was awesome. And then, of course, I love Kendra Tierney and Catholic All Year, but I have to be honest, at this point in my life, some of her ideas or suggestions are just a little too much for me. Like, I just, I can't make crepes. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's just, it's not going to happen with, you know, my, my crazy two and a half year old. And then I'm expecting, so I'm like trying to nap multiple times a day and it's not happening. And then the oldest is doing her school virtually. And then my second one isn't in preschool this year because, of COVID. So it's like, there's so much going on. I'm like, I love having a sheet to print off to color and a very simple activity to do. 
But damn, like when my kids can actually help me with the dishes, then I'm really looking forward to taking on some more challenging tasks. I had, I let them bake pumpkin muffins and they like roasted the squash and they pureed it and they did everything. And then I was like, okay, well you have to clean up the kitchen and wash all the dishes. And so one of the seven year olds started washing the dishes and she was like, I love this. I love this. And her twin came. I was like, it's your turn. And she was like, no, I want to wash all of them. And so now they're washing the breakfast and lunch dishes too. And I no longer have to do those. I was like, what? I mean, okay, great, fine. We are, we are here finally. And it makes a huge difference because that was, that took up a big chunk of time every morning. Yeah. I love, I love the idea of outsourcing things to your kids. I remember my mom always cooked, but then it was always up to my sisters and I to do the dishes after dinner. And like, man, I'm really looking forward to when we get there. Um, my oldest is seven, so she can help and she really likes to help in the kitchen, but she's also seven by herself, right? And then she has a four-year-old sister who we're really not going to give her a dish to dry and put away right now. And a two-year-old who we're definitely not giving a dish to put away right now unless we want it broken. So <laughs> yeah, it's just, but I'm like, oh man, we're so close. Like we're on the cusp. Thank you so much to Rosie Hill for joining us and being a guest on Heart Home Faith today. As always, it has been such an honor to bring you this interview. I'm so, so excited for all the other incredible interviews that we'll have coming up in the next few weeks. In the meantime, my hope and my prayer for you is that you may feel as loved as you are. God bless you.